I often call ops the uh, offensive lineman of a company. When everything's going well, you don't even know they're there. When something goes wrong, you're the first one. He's like, freaking holding. What's your advice to other operators who are learning to put their big boy pants on and let their voice be heard within the company? If it were me, going back in time and doing it over again, you have to speak from a, a position of CFO or COO. How is this system going to help me do my job better? How is it going to, how can we leverage it? Oh, that's a good word. Don't go in there like guns ablaze and say, you guys are idiots. Yeah. <laughs> right? Which a lot of operators do. Yeah. And yeah. that doesn't work. Usually you get uh, not the title you want. And that's what I'm offering right now. Basically, I can come in and I can. All right. <laughs> welcome. Welcome to Ops Unfiltered, Steve Clark. <laughs> Appreciate it. I'm happy to be here, Jared. Yeah, me too. All right. So before we dive into things, I just want the angle I wanted to go out in this podcast, because you are an expert in demand planning, forecasting. You've worked with a myriad of different brands ranging from like big, like Kodiak Cakes, all the way to your startup. Your, st- your startup, startup. <laughs> You're British hey, mate. now. <laughs> hey, mate. Your startup. Your startup Odyssey Bar. Mm-hmm. Um, and tons of different other clients that you've worked for to help dial in forecasting, demand planning. So, um, yeah, could you just give like a really quick intro yep. of what you do and we can dive into some of those questions. Totally, yeah. Uh, undergrad is not in operations supply chain. It's actually in finance and econ. Like most people yep. in ops and supply chain. <laughs> So I started working for a oil company out in the Midwest. They thought that my finance and econ background was perfectly suited for supply chain management. So that's a $40 billion business, right? Yeah. Like 40, a really big one. $40 billion. They're called uh, Coke Industries. I don't know if, <laughs> yeah. I don't know if that, anyone's heard of them. Most yeah. people think it's, it's Coca-Cola, but it's not. But anyway, so I started with them and they, that's where I kind of learned the basics. I was involved in a lot of like um, implementations of ERPs while I was there. And then I moved back to Utah where home is. And I worked for Kodiak Cakes as inventory manager, then led up to... uh, Kodiak Cakes at the time, probably like $30 million. Yeah. Yep. Small. Explosive growth at that time. Yeah. Small for small for really big brands, but (laughs) for what it is now. Um, and then I, I stayed with them for four years. Uh, it was ended up ended up becoming the director of operations when they were just south, just south of four hundred million in okay. revenue. Um, saw through an, an acquisition there, and then I uh, leveraged that awesome opportunity and the experience that I t- I had to uh, find a partner, and we launched our own CPG brand called Odyssey Snacks. It's a brand of prebiotic protein bars, and we're just getting started but it's been fun to kind of jump into the yeah and, and then also on the side you mm-hmm. you help brands dial in their demand planning and forecasting yeah so the yeah. things that i've learned uh, in my supply chain roles leading up to this point i've been able to really hone it in and and help other people replicate what i did at these other companies and now do it for their own companies yeah so that's that's kind of where i want to dive in that's the angle i want to go in this podcast is so you've You've dialed in demand planning, forecasting for massive brands. You've you've ran ops from thirty million to four hundred million, and you know you're you're running your startup right now, uh, your your small Odyssey bars uh, e-commerce store. So, so something that I'm curious to dive into first: why why do brands always go back to spreadsheets? Like 
people, most people who listen to like Thread or Kodiak Cakes or anybody talking on a podcast, they they automatically assume like, man, they must be doing they like that forecasting. It's probably all automated. All the replenishments totally automated. Um, it, and that's typically not the case. Mm-hmm. Normally, everything is done in Google Sheets and Excel. Um, why? Why do you think that is? Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna open up the kimono a little bit for, for some of my <laughs> experiences. So, um, so my my biggest thing that I've noticed is that we still use spreadsheets even in those big companies because the ERPs that most companies use are not set up for operations uh, tasks. They are set up mostly to be an accounting system of record. Mm. And that's... Oh, that's that's a great... <laughs> so say that one more time yeah. for the people in the back. <laughs> so brands will always... Or not always. Um, let me say this again. Brands will most likely, when they're setting up their ERP, say if they're just moving off of QuickBooks and it's their first ERP they're coming into, they will use that ERP as an accounting system of record and they will neglect all of the operations activities that it can do as well. And I would add on top of that, typically the switch to an ERP is pushed by the finance person in the company who's like, man, we can't just use QuickBooks. And that, <laughs> see, that's a whole other discussion, but yeah, great point. Yes. Okay. So that's, that's where I, it all started for me. So when I was at Coke Industries, um, I was put on the implementation team for, we were migrating from an old version Coke of Coke Industries, $40 billion company. Yeah, uh, huge oil industry. Migrating to SAP, right? Yep, we were migrating all of our international entities onto one SAP. And uh, my division, I was put over the, the migration team. I was put over the ma- master data team. And master data, uh, for those who don't know, that is like all of the little inputs, all the little information about every single SKU that you need to know. That's dimensions, so size, weight, height, everything. Why Why do you need dimensions in a forecast? So if you're, well, the way we did it, we were vertically integrated production and everything. So when it's, when you're, when it's coming down to a planning system, you want to know, okay, how much product fits weight-wise on a pallet, how much, how many of these units can fit on a pallet if I have to like, mix right. and match them, the whole system will will palletize things for you in a way. Um, got it, got it. That makes sense. So dimensions work, but for CPG brands, it's typically the master data that you really care about is uh, it's your reorder point, your, your relative lead time. So how long does it take yep. for you to place a PO and for that product to hit your dock? Um, and your, uh, all of your inventory requirements, and your minimum order quantities. Like those are the basics for, for brands. That's all, that's really all they need right now, but you can get more granular granular as you, you know, if you get into your own manufacturing and stuff. And you experienced this at Coke Industries, at Kodiak Cakes. Why is it so hard to gather this master data? Or, or I don't, maybe not gather, but gather and also keep it up to date. Why, why isn't everybody living in SAP? If SAP could actually automate all of this stuff, like, then why isn't every single brand using SAP right now? Yeah, so I, to illustrate or to illustrate my answer to your question, when I left Coke and came on to Kodiak, my first week I had a meeting with the CFO. And the CFO was telling me that they were migrating from QuickBooks into NetSuite. And I was ready to be like, okay, cool, let's go dive in. Let's find all the master data for, for the ops side of things. And, and he quickly took me off the team. <laughs> <laughs> he was like, we don't need this guy anymore. He's going to just make what? things way too long. <laughs> Wait, why, why is that? Just like, 
what I was asking, he was not ready to answer. He didn't think it was relevant for what we were doing. <laughs> so you were shining a light on like their... I don't think he understood what the importance of it was. I think mm. when he when he was put on this task, he was like, oh, we just need something better than QuickBooks. And all we were really focusing on were, you know, the financial side of things. Right. And when I was saying like, okay, well, we also need to put in like all of our, you know, all of the master data that goes in for ops activities for demand planning and all that stuff. And we just weren't ready at that time. Like Kodiak just wasn't ready. And so to your question where do you find that master data? At that point, Kodiak had grown so fast and it added so many SKUs and it you know, expanded into different categories so quickly that you sacrifice order and, and processes for speed and agility. And that's where I think a lot of brands get in trouble in the first place. Yeah, so it sounds like the, the biggest problem with master data, especially at smaller companies, is the processes it takes to, to upkeep those. Yeah. And I, I, I'd agree with you. I mean, so we, we also do basic forecasting for, for brands mm -hmm. and yeah, same thing. We need, we need sales velocities, MOQs, a general lead time, um, maybe a buffer of stock mm -hmm. and all of that, like at a SKU level. And yeah, it's, it is, that's why people think they want automated purchasing and automating replenishment. But what I tell people is like, look, I mean, a software could do that for you, but you know you're a two-person ops team. Um, I'll be honest with you; I, I don't think you'll be able to upkeep the data so that you can like automate everything. Um, so yeah. typically, what people—it's funny for us, even for us—what people end up doing is like we end up sort of like replicating a live Google Sheet onto our um, onto our software, and it it works. It's like, the most flexible geez. way. I mean, with the data changing so much. I couldn't think of any other way to do it at Kodiak than through a spreadsheet because we were just, we were gathering all the input from all the sales reps and we were gathering all the information from the marketing team. And we were, I mean, I tried, I, I interviewed several companies that were going to try and streamline our demand planning process. And the implementation was just taking so long and it was so expensive. And we ultimately scrapped all of that and we just they still use the spreadsheets that I built for them. Yeah, I've been gone for two go. years. Nice, that's awesome. Now mm -hmm. that's a testament to either yeah. it's a testament to me or it's a testament to the fact that sales and marketing is still king. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so walk me through. I'm curious since you have since you have this forecasting and ops experience mm -hmm. at a variety of different sizes companies. Um, what what advice would you give to startups? Like the if you had to if you had to give one piece of advice on what is generally off in a brand's ability ability to forecast, like what is the one thing you would tell them to build a foundation of a good forecast? Make sure it's. I'd start with make sure you understand it by channel, right? So if you're if you're selling in retail, brick and mortar wholesale, right? If that, keep that separate from what you're doing on Shopify and then keep that separate from what you're doing on Amazon because each channel has its own growth path, you know? like So <laughs> for, for the scrappy brands mm -hmm. or like maybe bring in some of your experience, for example, with Odyssey, yeah. where it's just a one-person ops guy or girl. And mm -hmm. what, when you say forecast by channel, like what do you mean? Do, do you, 
are, are you talking like top down forecasting, bottom up? Like what what is the simplest way that they can just extract all of the data from the channels and just generally know? Yeah, that's tough. It's so hard because, uh, by the way, I'm I'm not ever fro- like don't ever think that I I've figured the system out and I can I've got a crystal ball now. Hey, you'd be a billionaire. <laughs> I know I would. <laughs> the, what I what I feel like I've done better is using statistics to help with my forecasting. How so? Um, just using exponential smoothing and historical data to help forecast out, uh, tr- you know, track seasonality, figure out where seasonality exists in your historical data to then put it. So well, walk me through that because yeah. this is really interesting to me because mm-hmm. like these are, yeah, I'm, I'm super interested. How, how do you do that? Like, just take a skew from a brand that you've helped before and walk yeah. me through how you've done that. So we'll take, uh, let's say, we'll take a, we'll take Kodiak's best-selling pancake skew, okay? So this is going to be different than a startup. So bear with me. I'll get to a startup example okay. here in okay. a minute. Yeah, we'll start with the complex yeah. <laughs> and we'll get to the really simple. So with Kodiak's best-selling skew, I mean, we had five years of monthly sales data, uh, retail sales data. And so it was easy for me to just take this model that I built and just take, let's say I took two years of, of sales history. And in the Excel formula that Excel made, I'm not, I didn't make this Excel formula. This is all in Excel. Yeah. Everybody, anybody can do this. But you just take the, however much historical data you want and the formula then takes whatever historical data you put in and it will find seasonality mm-hmm. in the data for you. And then you can project it out to as... I've done it as far as five years. It's it obviously gets really inaccurate after you get past you know <laughs> eight months, <laughs> but anyway, you can use this formula to just uh, it'll it'll project the seasonality that you want. It will project the growth. It'll see the growth rate in your historical data as well and project that forward as well. And so it just gives you kind of a, a stat baseline, right? That so I use that to help Kodiak understand. Okay, this is our best selling SKU. At the growth rate it's had during our most consistent period, this is what we should expect to see. Plus the you know the downtimes during December, the uptimes again when back to school yeah. comes back in, and and then add a, a growth factor on top of that. Yeah. How, so how would uh, for example how would a brand get that formula? Do you have like a website that where you share that out? Is the YouTube video out there? You, so I'll tell you right now. All you gotta do is just Google exponential smoothing formula mm. in Excel and it will do it for you. My, and quite candidly, if you hired me to do it for your brand, that's what I would be doing to build out your demand planning mm. model. That, I love that. Be I that. love that you're sharing that. <laughs> I, I don't claim to, to know something that, or have a proprietary formula or anything. Yeah, Not, yeah. It's, it's I just, think people appreciate that. Yeah, hopefully you want to stick with me longer because I'm honest. <laughs> yeah. But, so now, now let's do do the most simple, like the simplest of mm-hmm. brands doing like two million a year. Yeah. So it's hard. So if you're a legit startup in the true sense of the word, word, you only have maybe let's say a year or two years worth of historical data. That same exponential smoothing uh, formula that I just said, it probably won't work very well for you because <laughs> you're you're just you're in a weird state. Yep. You don't have recurring revenue. It's it's. A lot of it's contingent on what ads you're running, yep. how effective those ads are. And so Or if you're wholesale, it's like the the next biggest PO that you're gonna get. Exactly. Like <laughs> you have no clue. <laughs> exactly. And who knows how long it takes for them to sell through their palette that they just bought from you. And 
So how mm-hmm. how does a startup actually effectively forecast? Because like mm-hmm. I've been there with small companies, and uh, it just it seems like the best way to do it is just to do it ad hoc, top down, channel by channel. That that's what it feels like to me. But like I don't. No, you're absolutely right. So that's exactly what I do for Odyssey. Like I'm I'm looking at my Shopify sales data, and I'm like, okay, we did this. We we've done X last month. And this is how much we did. This is how much we did in paid ads. This was the conversion rate of the paid paid ads. Um, we're gonna do this much more in paid ads next month. And I just have like some back of the napkin weird math of like, okay, if I my my increase of ad spend equates to X amount of of revenue, and that's how I that's how I do my forecasting based on ad spend right now. Got it. Okay, mm-hmm. well, that's interesting. Yeah, and it's, it's it's all based on ad spend. It is, and it all and let's be real too, like. The pro- the problems that I run into with running a, a startup is that my volumes aren't very big, and so <clears throat> it's hard for brands to hit scale. Right? If you're at scale, great, that's cool. My problems were not that. I've my problems are that I'll place my minimum order quantity with my manufacturer, and that product will last me two to three months. Wow. Whereas at Kodiak, I was used to reordering like every three weeks. I was like I was placing a PO every three yep. weeks. Interesting. That's, that's what you want. Okay, so what are, my next question would be, what are some issues that, I, I know there's a lot of brands that listen who, they they do wholesale and they do um, direct-to-consumer sales. Yep. So obviously you're going to divide out those channels. Mm-hmm. Wholesale forecasting, and, and I guess you classify like big box retail. Um, What's the best way to forecast that as, say, a brand doing 10 million or more? So it's still, they're almost like, and they're just now branching into big box retail and specialty wholesale. How do you, how do you not have that break your forecast? And what do you do with that? <laughs> I deal in a lot of probabilities as well. Okay. So I, you, you're right. So breaking apart like wholesale. So let's say you've got like a, an account on fair.com or something, yep. right? Very and, common, yep. And so that that kind of demand is sparse and it, it can be, uh, it's not going to be as consistent as big as big box as a, as a grocery store or, or Best Buy or something like that. So I would still keep those two separate in different channels. Um, the best way when you're getting into big box or in any kind of retail store is to put all your whole list of all of your potential customers and I always assign a probability of them coming in at that that month. And I do a kind of like a, a risk-adjusted mm, okay. total demand view, right? Because there's going to be times where you're like, okay, I've, let's so say... Yeah, but put that in layman's term. Yeah. <laughs> say like you're, okay, you have your top-selling SKU, and it says it's supposed to get in time for the warehouse for this big sell. Yeah. But like there's a probability that it might not. So how, how do you yeah, take account for that? So you're going to have buyers that tell you a date and the buyers will say hey we're going to we're going to purchase this on this date to be ready for you know uh, like a month in, in advance it's going to be on shelf in a month but the, and this is if this is their first order chances are it's going to be on time but that next that reorder you don't know if it's going to if they're going to burn through that in a month you don't know if you're going to burn through it in a month and a half and so i always put some kind of risk adjustment. So a probability, that's where risk adjusted means. Um, if I say I've got a hundred, a hundred units that are going to get sold 
but I assign it a 70% probability, it's really my risk adjust, adjusted is 70 units. Oh, got it. Got and it. risk adjusted forecasting is hard because it's hard if you only have one one customer. But if you've got like, you know, 10, 15 customers that you think are going to come in, in in a certain month, you assign a probability to them and you apply that to the quantities you think is coming in, you can get pretty close to what's okay. actually going to happen. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. Now, let's a uh, couple like rapid fire questions here near the end. Um, you came in the Kodiak Cakes and they were switching from QuickBooks to NetSuite, mm-hmm. correct? Walk me through that. How was, how, how was switching systems? Was it, was it a massive pain? Why? Yeah, it was a massive pain. So just the overall, just learning, like you feel foreign in a new system, like QuickBooks, I knew exactly, you know, exactly where to click, you know, exactly where to go. Um, and we didn't hire a consultant to coach us, at least on the ops side. I think accounting did, but ops didn't get a, a consultant to teach us how to write POs, how to reconcile inventory. Why, why, why is that? <laughs> why do you think ops are forgotten at companies? I often call ops the uh, offensive lineman of a company. When everything's going well, you don't even know they're there. When something goes wrong, you're the first one. He's like, freaking holding? Gosh. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so... Uh, you know, it also probably was we didn't make a big enough deal about it. Had had we had a vocal, um, a voice kind of saying, "Hey, we need to make sure that the all these other intangibles about how ops gets their job done in the system is just as important as accounting does," then we probably would have been fine. And what's so like? What's your stance on an alternative? So like at the time, you didn't speak up, or, or you know, whoever leadership didn't speak up. Um, what do you think there's an alternative to like NetSuite or Acumen, like the big ERPs? Is it, could you scrap around on spreadsheets? So my experience I would literally, I was with, I was in a $30 million company that, that was doing spreadsheets and was doing just fine with it. And we had several opportunities from 30 million to 350 million to jump in and buy a really expensive third party add-on to NetSuite to help us do all of the stuff that our spreadsheets were doing. And we never found a better solution than what we were doing on our own. And so, yes, you're quite, quite frankly, I think brands do not need to jump in uh, into a, a big ERP as fast as they think. I think they could do exactly what they could do with QuickBooks. I don't think Kodiak, what we were doing on the, at least on the ops side of things, I can't, I can't speak for accounting, but I think we could have done well with QuickBooks Enterprise mm. for a lot longer. Yep. Mm. Yeah, obviously that's why Luminous exists. Exactly. Like for, <laughs> we're, uh, yeah, we're trying to fill that gap in the market. You know, you don't have to jump to NetSuite. In fact, when you dissect the reasons why brands do it, it's typically pushed by a financial reason. And even, even QuickBooks, quote unquote, not working for bigger brands, it normally has to do with how how cogs and financials are pushed to QuickBooks. Yep. Um, uh, less so like QuickBooks sucks and you can't grow with it. Um, I'll, yeah, even, I'll even give you another plug for why I think uh, why I think Luminous is a good option for brands. Um, if you're if you're if you are a brand, if you are a company and your exit strategy is to get acquired by another company, they already have their own ERP system. <laughs> 
<laughs> and you're going to have to go through another migration once you get acquired. So you spend all that money to, you know, jump from QuickBooks into Oracle or, a good point. <laughs> or whatever, right? You're going to get gobbled up by somebody that has NetSuite. Yeah, so. you hope it is, right? That's yeah. the hope. And so, like, the easier it is for you to, to transition over into whatever they're using, it's better. Yeah. So last rapid fire question. Um, what's your advice to other operators um, who are learning to, I don't know, put, put their big boy pants on and let their voice be heard within the company? Because I, I agree with you. It's, it's hard to speak up in situations like this where, you know, at Kodiak Cakes, like you guys were in pain. You were like scrapping with spreadsheets and managing a NetSuite implementation. Like that sucks. <laughs> and it's typically just because these decisions are made where you don't have a voice at the table and you're left implementing all of it and running the company. So obviously you're a lot more seasoned now. What advice do you give to operators to speak up to their leadership, to let their voice be known um, what research should they be doing online to to f make sure they have a good voice? If it were me, going back in time and doing it over again, you have to speak from a, a position of of understanding. Like you have to understand why they're choosing to do what they're doing, why the why the leadership team is doing what they're doing, and 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 understand that. Don't go in there like guns ablaze and say like, you guys are idiots. Yeah. <laughs> right? Which a lot of operators do. Yeah. yeah. And, and that doesn't work. Usually you get uh, not the title you want. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Um, so my my advice would be understand master data. Like understand what what is required. When, if your company is moving into an ERP, just understand like, hey, CFO or COO, how is this system going to help me do my job better? How is it going to, how can we leverage it? Oh, that's a good word. How can we leverage this <laughs> to make the capabilities of our team so much better? And so that we don't have to keep adding headcount because that was what we always, we, yep. we covered a bandaid, a bandaid for not investing in our master data and our ERP on the ops side was oh, to hire somebody else. Point. That's such a good point. And, and being, see, being, mm -hmm. you can articulate that now mm -hmm. where you could sit in front of a CEO or a VP of ops or something and be like, Hey man, we can either keep adding headcount and have really complicated software to manage that headcount, mm -hmm. or you know we could actually simplify it and put some better SOPs in, and a much simpler software could do this. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, it, being able to articulate that, not being overly aggressive, like you guys suck, you just don't get this. I'm on the ground. It's like no, like <laughs> understand why they're doing what they're doing. They're doing this because they want to scale, and they see the current solution not able to scale. So yeah, articulate your reasons why that doesn't work for ops. And, and that's also a reason why Luminous, like that's why I'm making content. You'll see a lot of themes in our podcasts, mm -hmm. you know, you know, finance people choosing big ERPs or, you know, why big ERPs aren't necessarily the best fit, how to better forecast. Like we hit some of the same themes that a bunch of brands are going through. So hopefully by watching this podcast and Luminous content a bunch, like, It'll equip operations with some some more high level knowledge on how to approach these conversations. But totally. Um, so last thing, mm -hmm. can you can you plug your services? Because yeah. um, I know you you help dial in demand planning forecasting for a bunch of brands, mm -hmm. um, and I know there's a lot of brands that could potentially use your services. Oh, thank you. Yeah. So basically, what it is right now is I'm offering a, a very a la carte menu at this point. So if your company is missing uh, demand planning solutions, supply planning solutions. 
uh, or just general, I, they need help setting up an SNOP process, then that's what I'm offering right now. Basically, I can come in and I can, I can either look at your current tools and help consult on how to make them better, or I have my own temp- templates that I've brought with me along my career that we can just plug and play into nice. your business, customize them to fit their supply chain. And um, what I think is is great about what I'm offering is that you can either pick and choose what, what services you want, and you can also hire me to train your current team mm. to use them, and then you don't to have keep to keep it updated. Yeah, so you're not yep. dependent on me. Like you don't. Nobody wants to be dependent on me. Yep. You, or a consultant. You want to be able to teach your team and let let the consultant go. And that's my whole plan. Love it. Well, that's awesome, man. Well, thanks for coming in today. Yeah. Uh, I feel like that was a good, quick, concise podcast. Lots of value. So, love it. Thanks, Steve. Yeah, thanks. See you. ya. Good luck. <laughs>